0: God is so frustrated with his children that he wants to take them to court. He wants to sue his own children. Now, some of you parents, you, you understand this emotion. Um, and, and so God, so in, in this chapter, God says, I want to take my, I'm going to take you to court. And, and the problem is for God is that he can't, it's, it's hard if you're God to find a jury of your peers. Which is a tough, tough gig. So what he does is he said, he pleads his case before the mountains, it says, before the age old foundations of the earth. God says to Mike, I want to plead my case. And he starts out like this He says, My people, the Lord says, What have I done to you? Have I made it too hard for you? Answer me. Like, what did I do wrong? Basically, he's saying. Answer me. But before he you know, have you ever done this, he said give me an answer. But before they even answer, he he, he starts in on them. He, he's not even gonna give him a chance to answer. He starts in. He says, Look, I brought you out of slavery. I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam to be leaders. I, I, I delivered you to slavery. I gave you good leaders. I, I protected you from evil kings that wanted to harm you. I looked after you the whole way. I took care of you people. He stops and he says, this, look, I always do what's right. God looks at him and says, I, when it comes to you, I always do the right thing. He's mad. He says, what did I do to you? I always do what's right. And, and the people respond. And what the people say is basically, they, they, they look at, at Micah, they look at the prophet, and they say, Hey, what does God want from us? Well, I mean, what, what, what does he want? Does he want burnt offerings? Huh? Does he want calves? Does he want tons of, you know, ridiculous amounts of rams to be slaughtered? Does he want us to pour out olive oil in rivers all over the place? Like, like does he want us to sacrifice our own children to pay for our sins? I mean, what's he want? I mean, in other words, what they're saying is, is, look, we know we've messed things up. The problem is, we don't know how to fix it. We know we've blown it. We know we've messed ourselves up, messed up the world. The problem is, we don't know how to fix it. Religiously speaking, we're confused. You know, we're, We don't know what God wants from us. You know, what, what religious sacrifice? What discipline? What do we have to do here? And at this point, when they say, we don't know what to do, at this point, Micah steps in. He says, you've got to be kidding. Well, he doesn't say you've got to be kidding. But, what he, but basically he does. He says, look, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You, you know that verse, right? I and mean, we, we, you know, we sing it. I mean, they were singing the hip version. And at the earlier service, they were singing the boring, ultra-traditional version that I like, you know, you know, he has shown the, you, you know, that verse, that's a hot verse right now. I mean, it's, it, it, I, you know, I'm serious, like, like in, in church circles, that's the hot thing right now. I mean, everybody, if you look around, everybody's into social justice these days. I mean, that's the big thing. That's the hip thing. Oh, I mean, it's funny because I mean, we weren't always I mean, the evangelicals especially, we were all all into a personal relationship with God and into personal piety and and quiet times and prayer and and evangelism, getting people into heaven. That was our thing. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the evangelical church seems to have woken up to the fact that the gospel isn't just about our personal relationship with God, but also the gospel is about establishing a kingdom community, where everybody and everything lives and works the way God wants us to live and work together in peace and in harmony, where everybody has enough, where everybody's taken care of—I mean, this whole kingdom thing—all of a sudden that's the big thing. It's funny, you know. It's kind of good times for those of us who have been in the game a little bit longer. You know, I'm an inner-city guy, and 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 you know, we we've been you know talking about justice for a long time, and all of a sudden it's the hip thing. I was talking to my dad; he was in town the other day. And he said, it's good times to be Tony Campolo. I said, said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he said 25 years ago, I'm saying all this stuff. And like nobody was saying it. And now it's everywhere. It's in every mega church. It's in every conference. Everybody justice, justice, justice. But I got to tell you, I wonder sometimes. How many of us are jumping on the justice bandwagon without really understanding the cause at all? I and mean, we're all into justice all of a sudden, and I wonder if, 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 we don't, if we're not jumping on the justice bandwagon without really knowing what we're talking about. I mean, what is justice, anyway? I mean, what, biblical justice. We're all talking about biblical justice. What is biblical justice? That's a good question. You know, and I'm thinking this morning, I'm going to try to help. And this morning, I think maybe the best way to start answering that question, what is justice, is to get clear on what justice isn't, what it's not. And that's where an inner city ministry guy like me comes in handy. That's why it's good that you invited me over. Because uh, I've been, I, I, some of you know, I used to run this big organization and, and travel around doing all these speaking engagements. But about four years ago, my family and I moved here to Cincinnati. We moved into a neighborhood in Walnut Hills with some friends of ours in a kind of a little intentional community. And, and so, and to do street level ministry. And to get down there with the people, you know, to really do it. And after four years at street level... I can promise you this much. Social justice isn't being kind and compassionate to poor people. That's what it's not. It is. It doesn't so justice isn't about being being compassionate and kind to poor people. Now, now I don't want you to get me wrong. Being kind and compassionate to poor people is a good thing. I'm not not saying it's a bad thing. I don't want Karen Lane to like swoop out of the balcony and kill me. You know, (laughs) what are you doing wrong? Loving poor people is a good thing. Loving broken people and needy people and outcast people is a good thing. Love is essential to God's character. I mean, God, lo- love is who God is. God is love. And, 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 and it's so central to his character. And compassion is really love in action, right? I mean, love is the, love is the personal characteristic. And compassion is what, is what it looks like when you actually do something about it. And, 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 and I love that stuff, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the imprisoned, caring for people who have been hurt and excluded. That, that's, I believe in that stuff. I mean, that's, in a real sense, that's what my friends and I in Walnut Hills are all about. We're all about reaching out to people like that. We live among the poor and that's who we work with. I mean, in one way, if you want, some people say, well, what's your ministry? In one way, you could understand our ministry is this. It's reaching out to people who are drowning in the raging river of everything that's wrong in the world. I mean, all the stuff that's wrong in the world, it seems like it comes, it comes to bear on these ghetto people that we live around. And we're trying to reach out to people who are, who are drowning in that river. So A woman, uh, woman in our fellowship Elena. And, and I, I got to know Elena when, when, uh, I actually, I got to, I, I knew her cause I would see her around the neighborhood with her boyfriend. They would walk around the boyfriend. They would walk around the neighborhood all the time, arguing with each other. Like you'd hear them fighting. You ever see a couple like that? they just, except in our neighborhood, it's not like little pay stuff. It's like people screaming at each other. I hate you, oh and then these guys were always at each other. And you know, sometimes you see a couple like that. And you're trying to figure out why are they together? But I knew why they were together. He had an apartment. She was homeless. And he took her in in exchange for sex. And so that's why she stayed with him. Until one night they both got drunk. And in the midst of their drunkenness, he started beating on her. And she pulled out a knife and she stabbed him three times. And he didn't die. But but, but he, he, he didn't die. He was, he, was, he was coherent enough to call the police. And they came and they took her to jail. And... Uh, He was all right. I mean, he came back to the neighbor. He came back from the hospital a couple days later. Actually, he was the one who sent me to meet her. He came to me and he said, listen, I don't ever want to see that woman again. But he said, somebody ought to help her. So why don't you, you know, you're supposed to be a good guy. Why don't you go visit her? So I went down to the prison and I got to know her. She's a mess. You know, this this, this woman, you know, and as we were in prison talking, it became very clear to me that when she came out of prison, I mean, he wasn't going to press charges. When she came out of prison... She had nowhere to go. So my friends and I, we got together and we scrambled her up a, one of those paper income apartment buildings, apartments in a building, you know, $25 a month because she has no income. And we got some church people to give us furniture and bed, a bed and everything. And we set up this apartment real nice and we moved her into it. And honestly, it's the first time in 15 years that she's lived with any dignity. I mean, she just needed somebody to fill out the paperwork and to do this stuff. She's, she's barely literate. It had, to, it had to all come together. And so we made it come together. And so that's where she lives now. I mean, when I say she's a mess, I mean, it's like, you say, why doesn't she work? Well, she, she has no teeth. She has no teeth. They're, they've all rotted out and been pulled out. And, and she, she has a messed up leg because she got in an accident and they, they said it wrong. And she didn't have health care, so she didn't go back to the doctor. So she can barely stand on her feet for more than 10 minutes at a time. So she can't work. So what do you do? Well, she gets food stamps. But she can't much eat the, eat the food without the teeth, so... The other thing our fellowship did was we bought her a blender. So that she could take her food and mash it up so that she could eat it. She's got no, no health care. She's got no health insurance at all. So, so what that means, and, and, and she's a mess physically. So every few weeks, it seems like, she'd call up and she'll say something. She's gone down the tubes again and, and she'll miss dinner and we'll call. And so then we take her down to the emergency room. It's funny, It's funny they talk about the public, are we going to have a public or option or not? I always laugh because we've got a public option. It's called the emergency room. If you've got no health care, that's where you go. And it costs $1,000 a visit, but she doesn't pay it. You do. So we drive her, you pay, and that's, that's, that, 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 that's, that's Elena. There's another guy in the neighborhood, and his, his name's Trey. And, and Trey's another guy. He eats dinner with us on Monday nights. He's a good guy. I mean, we really like him, but he lives, he has no job. He actually had no job, but we knew some people, and so we hooked him up with a little part-time job. We got him this job, but he's been struggling at the job, because, and and, and Trey's problem isn't that he doesn't have teeth. He has teeth. That's the problem. He's got four teeth that are abscessed, and and they're killing him. I mean, you've had a toothache, maybe. Some of you know what he's talking Imagine having four of them all at once. I mean, all of his teeth are rotting, but he's got these four teeth that are just in horrible shape. And he's been to the clinic, and they say they've got to pull him out. But th- and there's a great program in, in Cincinnati where if you have no dental care, they will, do, they will pull your teeth for you for free. The problem is is that the waiting list for that program is five months. And so he's on the list. He's got four months to go. Now. I just want you to imagine what it would be like to have the worst toothache in your life. Multiply it times 4 and then sit with that for 5 months. I mean, come on, you'd be at the you'd be at the dentist in one day. But he can't go. So he said, "Well, what do you do for Dre? Well, you know what we do for Dre is we buy him buy him the medicine, painkillers. That sort of do the job and sort of don't he's half looped half the time now. And uh and you go by the apartment every now and then, and you just say, "I'm so sorry," and you just sit, and you feel bad with them. And in in in, in, in Trey's house, there's a there's a kid. He lives with his girlfriend, and 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 her kids are there. And one of the kids is his older kid. His name's Adam, and Adam's a, he's a great kid. I mean, I really like him and everything. But his mom, she's no account, you know. I mean, she gets she's on food stamps and everything like that, and Section Eight and the whole thing. But but. She, she doesn't work, and she doesn't seem to care. And so she takes the food stamps, and she trades them for money, and then she buys beer and cigarettes. And so sometimes at the end of the month, the kids call our, our house and say, "There's no food." Now what do you do? I'm mean, like, do you take the food by? I mean, I mean, it, if you do, you're 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 codependent, right? You're you're enabling the whole situation. You're enabling her to drink to drink and smoke like that. But if you don't, I mean, it's just kids. So sometimes we take the groceries. Sometimes we don't, and I never know what's right. And Adam's not going to do very well in his life because he comes from this messed up family, but, but he goes to this messed up school. I mean, he's, he's going to school, but he's not really being educated. He's not, he's not really being educated. So, so we tutor. We do some tutoring. It's funny. Sarah Johnson, you know, the Johnson's kid, she used to live next door to us before she moved to New York, and she used to tutor Adam's sister. Then we got somebody else working with Adam. And, you know, you do, you, you, you tutor kids. You try to help them with your, their education. And it's good to tutor kids. I know some of you tutor kids. And I want, I want to tell you, it's good to tutor kids. I'm not saying that stuff isn't important. I'm not saying what we're doing isn't important. I'm just saying it isn't justice work. It's got nothing to do with justice. I mean, a lot of us have taken our, our compassion ministries, We're them as justice. But that's not justice work. See, justice doesn't just keep pulling people out of the raging river of trouble. Justice says, hey, let's drive upstream and see who's throwing all these people in. You see what I'm saying? Like, justice doesn't just deal with the, with the, the effects of a messed up system, of a messed up world. Justice says what? We better go and, and, and do something about the causes. Yeah. yeah justice. Justice. Justice doesn't worry about tutoring little Adam. It says we've got to do something about this school system. Justice doesn't say, hey, can we come up with enough money to pay for Dre's dentures? Justice says this healthcare system's a mess. And somebody's got to do something about it so that it doesn't keep exploiting poor people and hurting them. Now don't get me wrong, I'm a compassion guy. I mean, it's funny that they asked me here to talk about justice because I'm a compassion guy. But compassion only deals with the effects of what's wrong with the world. Justice is about the causes. Compassion cares for hurting people. Justice challenges challenges. Challenges the individuals and the systems and the principalities and the powers that hurt them in the first place. Justice, Justice cuts to the root. Justice goes to the source. And I got a friend named Gary Haugen, and he runs this big ministry all over the world called the International Justice Mission. Big justice guy. And and Gary says, this. Gary defines justice this way. He says, justice is the right use of power in our relationships with other people. He says, you know, we all have power. You've got power, I've got power, different kinds. You've got the power of, you've got your physical power, but you've also got the power of your money, power of your education. Your job gives you some power, gives you some way. You know, you've got individual power, but then also we collectively have power. This church has power. This church can do things collectively that none of us can do individually. But then we're also part of like, we're American citizens and our country has power, okay? So all of us have power of different kinds. And Gary says that justice is when we use that power the right way in relationship to other people. And and injustice is when somebody wrongfully abuses that same power. Right? He says it's all about power. Now, that's a pretty good definition, I think. I I mean, just as compassion is love in action, right? I mean, love is the the characteristic of God and compassion is what that love looks like when it's expressed in in, in real life. So too, justice is is God's righteousness in action. I mean, God is right. God does the right thing. He is good to the core. And, and, And justice is when that rightness, that righteousness expresses itself in real life, in action. They're both expressions, scripturally speaking, of God's essential character. Now, if I want over and over again, if you you get your Bibles out right now, over and over again, the Bible describes God as righteous and just. I mean, the word used for both both of them is, is mixed. It can mean both things at different times. Over and over again, the Bible describes God as righteous and just in every way. I mean, if I wanted to right now this morning, if I wanted to, I could whip out more than a thousand verses. No lie, more than a thousand verses that make it plain that in any situation where power is used to take advantage of the weak, God always takes the side of the weak. God is always for the oppressed and against the oppressor. God is always for the exploited and against the exploiters. God is always for the victim. And against the victimizer. I mean, i got a thousand verses like that. But I'm not going to read them this morning. Because the verse that we did pick, Micah 6, 8. Micah's whole point is, when it comes to justice, you don't need all those verses. You don't need the scriptures at all when it comes to justice. That's what Micah's trying to say. He says, look, you already know when something's right. And you know when something's not right. You, it's written in creation. I mean, you, you don't need the Bible. Just look around. You, you can feel it when something's wrong. You know it in your bones. You see, you're see, you at school and you see some kid bullying some other kid and, and something inside of you says, that's wrong. You, you, you're in a situation. You, you, remember when apartheid was going on in South Africa? I remember I was in college, and I remember when somebody came to our college and lectured and told us about how white people, this white minority in South Africa, was was oppressing and keeping all the black people in South Africa in poverty and away from any kind of political power or or, or opportunity. And I remember as soon as the guy, and he talked about Nelson Mandela, who was was being kept in prison, this freedom fighter who was writing and trying to get out of prison. And and, and as soon as I, I, I heard that, you just, remember when you found out about apartheid in South Africa, and you just knew what? That's wrong. That's, I'm against that. I mean, it's like slavery in this country. I mean, what, you know it's wrong. You know it was wrong. There are all sorts of situations like that. in our personal lives. You know, I mean, you were talking this morning about this apartment building nearby here that some of you are working in. And there are people living in ridiculous situations, infested with bed bugs, gang members shooting at each other in the hallway. And there are older people living in their trap. And like, you don't need a Bible to know that's wrong. Now, Micah's point is, I mean, Micah says, you know what's wrong. He says, oh man, oh man, he has shown you. He has shown you what is good. You know it. The question of justice isn't what's right or wrong. The question is, what are we going to do about it? That's always the question. How are we going to use our own power? In relation to other people. What are we going to do about those principalities. And powers that are wrongfully abusing their capabilities. To take advantage of the poor. What, what, what are we going to do about those people? What are we going to do about those companies? What are we going to do about those laws? What are we going to do about this? The system. That's what they call it. What are we going to do about the system? See, so take Diana and Dre, for example. You 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 take the people I was talking about. Elena. I I know I always change the names because I I worry that it'll get back to my neighborhood. And and sometimes I forget who I I tell you who I'm really talking about. For your purposes, Elena. Take my friend Elena. Take my friend Trey. I mean, what justice says is that it's not enough to take up a collection so that we can get his teeth fixed. Justice says, we got to think about health care reform in this country. I mean, that's the big debate right now, health care reform. What are we going to do, health care reform? And, and a lot of times people say, hey, listen, that's politics. Don't bring that into church. Well, I'm bringing it into church because I've got to tell you something. We can, you can, we can take up a collection today. There was a guy after church in the first service who says, says, I'm a dentist. I, I'll be glad to help your friend Dre for free. And you know what? I'm going to call him on Monday morning. But there's a 1,000 Dre's. There's a 1,000 Dre's out there and 10,000 more where they come from. It's not enough, it's not enough to be, to give charity to the poor. At some point, you've got to stand up to the system. I and mean, let's face it, I mean, I was talking to, I, we all know what's wrong with the healthcare system in this country, right? Everybody's taking out too much. I mean, it, 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 on the one hand, you've got doctors, and they're just charging, you know, doc, doctors getting rich, and they're making money off the system. You've got doctors and insurance companies. Their, their executives are taking home these fat salaries, and so the insurance companies and the doctors, they're making a bunch of money on that hand. And you say, well, let's stop them, but you can't because you, politically you can't because they own the Republican Party. And you say, well, but the trial lawyers are taking money out too, right? It's all this tort stuff and, and, and peop, malpractice insurance is driving it all up. And you say, well, let's stop them, but you can't because the Democratic Party's in the pocket of the trial lawyers, right? I mean, if you talk to anybody who really knows, I was talking to a health, uh, the pre, vice president of a healthcare company just the other day, a friend of mine. And he said, Bart, everybody's taken out too much. We're taken out too much, the doctors are taken out too much. But he said, what people expect in their healthcare is ridiculous too. He said, everybody wants the million dollar surgery, like in the last month of their life to buy them an extra week. And he said, he said, Americans, they all want to go into the, the doctor of their choice and they all want everything for their situation. And he said, the problem is, is that for everybody to get the care that rich people get, this country couldn't afford it. So, so what he's saying to me is this. He's saying that the only way it would work is, is if everybody sacrificed something. You see, basically what he's saying is, is if you guys get a toothache, you're going to be at the doctor the next day. And Trey, he's going to wait five weeks, five months rather. He's saying, so would you be willing to sacrifice? Would you be willing to change the system so that you had to wait a week and he had to wait a week? Would you be willing to give up some of your own stuff? Because that's justice. See, justice isn't where everybody gets everything. There's no way everybody gets everything. It's where everybody gets what they need. Everybody gets enough. You have a theology of enough my, my 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 friend adam hey it's great that we tutor kids but 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 what justice says is tutoring kids isn't enough at some point you got to you got to face up to the fact that the way we do education in this country is ridiculous i mean come on you know how we fund education in this country you want to know why adam goes to a cruddy school because he lives in cincinnati and we pay for schools and the way we stay for school pay for schools in ohio is through property taxes And so Cincinnati is one of the poorest cities in the country, within city limits. And so what happens is when all those poor people put their property taxes together, it's not very much. So we don't have nearly as much to spend on their education as people out in rich suburbs and richer richer communities. And we pay for it by property taxes. I mean, I know you thought we lived in America where where education is free for all. But it's not the same education for all, is it? And we all know it. So that Adam gets one kind of education, and I got a whole different one because of where I grew up. And so did most of you. And we all know it's wrong. I mean, it's unconstitutional. It's been proven over and over again. It's not constitutional. But you don't need a constitution to tell you it's wrong. You just know in your heart it's wrong that poor kids get cruddy educations. And it's not just the funding, of course. It's the teachers' unions, too. Because the way it's, the way it's set up right now, the only people that I know that are teaching, the only good teachers I know that are teaching poor kids are ones that are doing it out of a sense of Christian commitment. Some of those are in your own congregation. You know who I'm talking about. You've got a lot of teachers here. And, and you know that if they, if they wanted to, they could teach at the easier schools, and they could teach the smarter kids, and they could make more money doing it. But they do it out of Christian commitment. But you can't base a whole system on the charity of teachers. At some point, you've got to change the system so that the money is there to pay the good teachers to be in, in the schools where they're needed and so you can get rid of the bad teachers if they can't cut the mustard. There's something, see what I'm saying is justice doesn't just say tutor the kid. Justice says there's something wrong with the system and we've got to challenge that. See, I've got this friend, Jim Wallace. Some of you have heard of Jim Wallace. He runs this ministry called the Sojourners down in Washington, D.C. My friend Jim, he's big about political action. He's a, he's a Christian political activist. And so what he does is he's always lobbying. He's always going to meet with congressmen and senators and telling them that, that God says this about the poor and we've got to change this welfare law and we have to fix that feeding program and we have to change this health care legislation. He's always lobbying and he's always pushing legislation. And he's not just doing laws, he's protesting all the time. He, these guys, these sojourners, they're always protesting against corporations like Walmart that exploit their workers overseas so that we can have cheap t-shirts and he said, and, he, and he's trying to raise, raise awareness and say to christians in this country hey being a christian isn't just about going to church it's also about figuring out what you should buy and what you shouldn't buy and where you should buy it and who you should vote for and what kind of legislation you should support and all that stuff and, and you know it's funny because he's he's out there doing all that stuff and he's trying he always says the same thing he's always try, he says i'm trying to convince christians that faith See, because people don't like it. And they say, hey, hey, don't don't bring all that politics in here. Faith is is personal. My faith is a private thing. And he says, no, no, faith is very personal, but it's never private. Faith isn't just about your relationship with God and my relationship with God. It's about our relationship with God. And it's about our relationship with what? One another, yeah. It's about the kingdom. It's about community. Now, Now, folks like Jim make people uncomfortable. That when, when you start bringing that justice language and you start breaking it down to actual, like, what you buy and, and, and what you're going to get in your health care situation and all that, people get very uncomfortable. And you know what they do when they get uncomfortable with Jim? They use people like me to criticize them. They, they use people like me and my friend Shane Claiborne. I, I've heard them do it. They'll come up to us and they'll say, hey, man, you guys, man, you guys living in the ghetto, loving those poor people. Man, that's the real thing. That's what Christianity is really all about, man, what you're doing. Being down there with the people, they say, "Hey, you know those guys; those 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 guys are out there, you know, and they're they're writing their letters and they're making their phone calls. All those political, political activists, and sure, he's, he's, that's easy. They're always talking about systemic change and systemic change. But you're down there with the people, man. That's what it's really about. And they're wrong. They are dead wrong. They are wrong on two counts. The first way they're wrong is that." Anybody who's down where I am will tell you that unless somebody changes the laws, unless somebody fixes the system, unless somebody fights those corporations, we're hopeless. I mean, I I could tutor all the kids in the world, but unless you fix the system that creates those messed up families and those messed up educational systems, there's just going to be more. I mean, most of the people I'm working with, I can't really help. They're so damaged, they've been so messed up by the system that they'll never be fixed. All I can do is hold their hands as they suffer. But the system's making more of them. And so if, they, if somebody doesn't address the system, <laughs> there's no hope. Don't give me when I see Jim Wallace and and I see people that are fighting against people like that who are fighting against predatory lending and who are trying to change housing policy and are doing health care reform, I love those people. I love them. I love what they're doing. I respect it, because you know what? It's not easy to try to change systems. It's not easy to try to change laws. It's complicated and it's difficult and it's time consuming. And it's never ending because you think you fixed it and something else goes wrong. Now they're wrong when they say, oh, you're doing the real thing. And what he's doing. That. No, I love what they're doing. But you know, the other way they're wrong. They're wrong because they, they act as though moving to the inner city and living with the poor, that that's such a big deal. They act as though, the, 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 oh, you gave up your house and you, you gave up all the, all this luxury to live in, in, in the ghetto, living, moving to the ghetto is no big deal. That's not that's that's not the hard part. The hard part is knowing people in the ghetto. That's what's a drag. I don't care about the house. I can't stand getting called at six o'clock in the morning because somebody's locked out of their house. I can't I mean, I, I can't stand getting woken up in the middle of the night so I can drive somebody to the hospital because they have a chest cold. I mean, I'm sick of having to teach kids how to wipe their rear ends because their family literally hasn't taught them to do it. And so I got a high school kid who smells bad. And you finally figure out that nobody's taught him how to take care of himself in the bathroom. I mean, being in relationship with broken people, now that's, that's hard. It's not, it's not the sacrifice. I mean, it's funny. We, we, we Christians, we like obvious sacrifices. But the truth of the matter is it's the relationships that are the problem. The relationships, they're complicated. They're time-consuming. They're, they're difficult. They're never-ending. I mean, we Christians like the obvious sacrifices. We like religious disciplines. I mean, like the people in, the, in, in, in Micah, they, they want to, can we do calves? Can we do rams? How about olive oil? I mean, we, we, like, that's something, I, that's something tangible. I know what I've done. We're, we're like that. You know, we like church services and quiet times. tithes. We like anything that at the end of the day we can say, I did it. This is what God wants, and I did it. But the stuff that really matters, compassion, justice, doesn't work that way. The stuff that really matters is always hard, and it's always complicated, and when it comes to justice, it always involves conflict. It's, gonna, it's messy. And you know what? It's so complicated and it's so messy and it's so difficult that it'll make you humble. I mean, that's the, that's the one part of Micah that's easy. Because I want to tell you something. If you do justice and if you seek mercy, if you do, if you do justice and compassion, I promise you, you'll be humble. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you'll go like, I don't know if we did anything that worked. This stuff's really hard. I don't know what I'm doing out here. Yeah, it'll make you humble. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, man, I can't do all that. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I'm, oh, I'm supposed to do justice. I mean, look at the verse. I'm supposed to do justice and I'm supposed to love mercy and, and, and walk off. Oh man, how am I going to, don't worry about it. See, what you got to remember is you don't have to do all of it. Remember, Micah wasn't talking to individual people. Remember who he was talking to? He was talking to what? The people of God. Yeah, the people of God. He was talking to the church. He was talking to the Israelites. He's talking to God's people. See, we can't all do everything all the time. When people criticize Jim Wallace, they say, man, he's not down there in the streets. I go like, man, he's in Washington. He's flying all over. He's, he's, writing, legisl- he's writing papers. He's mobilizing people. Like, that takes a lot of time. He doesn't have time to be in the neighborhood. And, 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 and sometimes I feel guilty because I'm so busy messing around with people and sitting in emergency rooms that I don't have time to write letters to Congress like I ought to. See, we can't all do everything all the time, but together, corporately, we're called to do both. So what's your part? Maybe you're a compassion person. Terrific. But you better, I'll tell you what, if you're a compassion person, you better be connected to some people that are doing justice. That are, because otherwise they won't know what to fight for. And you know what? If you're out there, if you're writing letters, some of you are older. Some of you are, some of you are established in your jobs and stuff. You're not in a position to dump it all and move into some ghetto and hang around with a bunch of broken people. That's okay. Then you better be about changing the system. You better know what you think about this health care thing and not know what's good for you. Know what's good for the poor. You better know what you think about education and not what's good for your kid, what's good for the broken, what's good for Adam. See, we don't all do everything, but together we have to do both. Because we are supposed to reflect God. His love, which is actualized in compassion, and his righteousness, which shows up when we fight for justice. Come on now. He has shown us. He has shown us, oh man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of us. But to love mercy. And to do justice. And to walk humbly with our God. In Jesus' name. Amen.